fear honestly it's an illusion it mm. is what you make of it in your mind mm. but once you confront that fear and identify the worst case scenario that would happen it won't scare you anymore mm. and you know i i follow this in everything yeah. whenever you know i'm i'm not clear i'm not going to say i'm scared mm. I, if i have a fear of something i go through the thinking process of what's the worst that could happen out of this and if once you go through the process you actually take the power away of this uh, fear mm. and you're able to do it Hey everyone, thanks a lot for listening to the show. If you're enjoying it, please make sure you like, comment and follow the show. It means a lot to me. It gives me conviction to keep on going. So thanks a lot. Thanks for joining another episode of Talks with T. Uh, I'm super honored today to have uh, Raja and Mazrouhi with us on the show today. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Uh, so you're the managing director of the Ittihad Credit Insurance, but I'd say you're also one of the four parents of the birth of the let's call it ecosystem and fintech. I would say in the UAE, but then also in the region. So I'm super excited to have the conversation with you today. Thank you, Tara. It's my pleasure to be with you, and uh, it's an amazing experience that I have been through over the last uh, few years, uh, witnessing the birth of the entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem in the region. What? Uh, so, so you, clearly you started, you had some sort of affinity towards technology because I think earlier in your career, you started in the tech, in the IT space. So the first question I would have is what drew you to be in IT, in tech from very early in your career? So I'm a tech by, I have tech as uh, my background and I studied uh, technology a long time ago out of curiosity. I was like, okay, nobody wants to do technology. What's what's going on? So I ventured into it out of curiosity and uh, luckily I found out that it was an exciting domain to be in. And I've worked in technology roles all my life and uh, eventually moved into uh, business. But then when the whole fintech uh, industry started to evolve in the region, I thought it was a perfect match for me to move into it because I've been with the DIFC for the last uh, 12 years. I had the exposure to the financial services sector, but then I got super excited because now it's linked with technology. Mm. And uh, I started into fintech from there and I was able to understand the two languages, the technology and the financial services, and also the language of the two players, whether it's the startups, the entrepreneurs, the regulators and the financial institutions. So it gave me sort of an uh, interesting uh, position to be able to integrate all of these conversations and uh, support the agenda of FinTech of breaking the barriers, enabling financial inclusion for individuals uh, through technology solutions. That's amazing. I also st- I studied uh, computer engineering and software engineering in Canada and you know, one of the things that became very clear, this is, you know, in the early 2000s, was that it wasn't a very diverse, uh, in terms of gender, it wasn't a very diverse major. Uh, And so where do you think that curiosity for you came from or that desire maybe to go against the the standard or the typical 
uh, movement uh, at the time. Where do you think that comes from? I think it's part of my uh, personality. Yeah. I uh, studied technology in higher colleges of technology in Abu Dhabi a long time ago. And uh, at that time, it was a new major. And all of my friends went into business management and communications. And I wasn't really excited about that because everyone was doing them. And I was excited about technology just because it was new. There was very few people who were willing to, you know, go through this experience. And, you know, when something is new, you don't know the outcome. Yeah. And uh, at that moment, I decided, you know, if it doesn't work, I can always switch. But then it worked really well. So you ha- you're to a certain extent you're a risk taker. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> because even kind of looking at your anybody from the outside looking at your LinkedIn, mashallah, and it's clear you've reinvented your yourself, your career, many many times. And so, where does that courage come from? That desire to, خلاص يعني it's easy to kind of build something and say I'm comfortable, but it seems like every time you've done that, you've gone and taken on a new challenge. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a passionate learner and okay. I learn every day and I get excited about learning new things and mm-hmm. uh, with regards to uh, my career you know uh, whenever you achieve something you always have the option to just be there or yeah. you know reinvent yourself as you said I'm driven by impact and creation so whenever there's an opportunity to create something I get excited and then somehow the universe and the stars align for me to to be in there I wouldn't say I have architected that whole career uh, back in the days. Yeah. I was uh, just, you know, following my intuition and also looking out for opportunities that, uh, you know, would match my interest. But that passion and curiosity has always led me to those opportunities. And I'm not going to say it has all been rosy and easy. Akeed. It's been challenging. Yeah. There were some opportunities that worked really well, some opportunities that didn't work really well. However, I've learned a lot from mm. them. So uh, I take all experiences as learning and then, you know, uh, don't get stuck there. Mm. I just, you know, decide on what's next after. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that is clearly, clearly applicable, whether you're building a career or whether you're building a business is this openness and willingness to follow your instinct and take risk. And so I'd love to kind of get an understanding of how you think about your intuition, how you think about when's the right time to take risk based on your experience. So I believe, um, you know, uh, as a person, if you are um, clear about uh, your uh, objectives, about what you want to achieve, and you just make sure that you're aligned with it. And when I say you're aligned, as in mind, heart, and soul are aligned, you know Mm. what you want to do. You're not confused. You're not hesitant. Uh, I think that gives you a very clear intuition because intuition, you know, that's a whole whole subject. subject. (laughs) (laughs) That's another podcast. But I always say if you're clear and you're aligned, your intuition will work in your favor. I wouldn't tell you that every time my intuition was right, my intuition is right when I'm clear, when I'm not clear or I don't have enough information or the right uh, environment to take that decision, then I actually go and seek more information to enable uh, you know, the intuition to drive mm. towards uh, one conclusion or another. But it's really important to be aligned and to be clear on your objectives. What do you want to do? So we always ask the difficult questions. Mm. Why? Uh, why does it matter? Why am I doing this? And how long am I going to be doing this? Yeah. 
you also mentioned that you're a passionate learner. So how do you go about learning today? Uh, what are the uh, things you've done to really continue to keep maintain that desire to learn and keep yourself moving on that front? So initially, I thought getting uh, you know a bachelor's degree or master's degree will get will get me there, whatever. Yeah, and I then job is done. <laughs> job is done, on, and obviously it's not. Yeah. But um, you know, as as you grow and as you get into new roles, new technologies, especially in technology, new technologies are being released, uh, new um, uh, regulations are being issued. You need to be up to date with all of these things, and that learning doesn't only come from university or from getting certified in certain area. It's really having access to the latest news, making sure you are within social network Mm. that is relative to uh, the type of work that you do. And, um, you know, uh, doing courses here and there. So Mm. I've done so many uh, educational uh, programs uh, throughout my career, but I continue to learn. Like, uh, for example, in my current role in Tahad Credit Insurance, I have been learning about credit insurance for more than a year now. And and the only way to do that is by reading books, you know, uh, finding online courses, uh, attending events, learning from experts in in the domain itself. Uh, once you realize it's important for you to succeed, you'll definitely go out and seek that. And today with technology, you mm. know, um, uh, decentralized learning is available to everyone through mm. online courses, through YouTube channels, through, uh, you know, subscribing to certain uh, newsletters and also attending webinars and events that has been very much easier now compared to having to travel all the way and register and pay all the fees to attend a conference but Mm. now you have access to them and most of them are also recorded so you can always go back to those um, uh, podcast sessions and and catch up on points that you've missed before fintech is having its own moment right now in, in our region but the fintech hive started even before any of that was was born absolutely we started in 2017 i still remember the launch and at that time there were only uh two fintech companies in the gifc yeah. and uh, today i don't i lost count i mean the numbers are great they're beyond 500 600 700 Shana. startups and yeah. in the difc in particular because it's financial services so yeah. really to be able to cater to this number of startups yeah. to come uh, get a license have the courage to mm. challenge the status quo and mm. play in the blind spots of other institutions mm. was, um, you know, uh, great for the startups to believe in the opportunity, believe in the support system that has been put in place to enable their growth. Mm. But it's really all about the ecosystem. How do you start that whole ecosystem? And now looking back, uh, I realized that there were major components that we were able to bring in together to enable this ecosystem. Mm. You had, uh, We had access to financial institutions who were supportive, who wanted to know what is going on in fintech. How could they collaborate, learn, mm. connect with those fintechs to expand their customer database, expand their service offerings? And also there was this passionate entrepreneurs that are around the region who were passionate about creating something mm. new and and also looking at all the success stories globally and realizing there is 
you know, a major gap in our region for them to be first movers and, and jumping in just like Vezat yeah. uh, yeah. and uh, to start to uh, experiment. The third thing I would say is also the support that you had. There mm. were so many accelerators running at the same time with a lot of uh, benefits that were put in place to attract the startups to come. And we have created an opportunity to experiment because some of them succeeded and some of them failed. And the yeah. ones that failed found a safe space to fail, learn, and pick up again. Mm. Uh, they had access to funding, they had access to regulation, the regulators were cooperative, they mm. were learning, their understanding was going on and looking at best practices globally and recreating those regulations to fit the region and the startups. And on top of all of that, we had all the investors that believed in the opportunity to invest in those startups, mm. to scale them and also to integrate them with the missing um, you know, uh, opportunities in yeah. within the region to create a bigger impact. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned when you were uh, getting ready to jump into the fintech hive, you said that you spoke to a lot of your friends and they said, what if it doesn't work? What I get a sense that this, that's not the first time you've heard what if it doesn't work and I get a sense that whenever you hear that you get excited because <laughs> you don't know unless you get there right yeah. and once you once you're there you realize and um, you know that yes it's going it's going to be great yeah. but then it fails mm. for for one small mm. thing that you haven't looked at or you 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 go in a bit hesitant mm. but you grow at your own pace mm. and this is what i saw with most of the startups start two co-founders you know very limited access to mm. funding experimenting working with the uh, ecosystem enablers working with the regulators working with the venture capital uh, community to test the opportunity for those solutions and mm. since i was there from the very beginning like uh, i i don't stop talking about sarwa because yeah. i was working yeah. really really closely yeah. with them uh, they did that literally step by step mm. and the exit was really easy mm. and um, you know uh, if it didn't work you could have exited because even the difc give mm. access to licensing co-working space so you wouldn't put a huge investment to start that journey yeah. it was a small investment yeah. it was okay to fail mm. but the opportunity was too huge for you to actually consider failure as an option yeah. so so the entrepreneurs started to figure out and learn along the way to mm. create something that fits the region yeah yeah and, and so there's kind of two points here number one is startups having uh, you know avoid not having the fear of failure and just saying okay خلاص, i'm gonna start but then also if i kind of bear that to your career it doesn't seem like you've had this fear of failure in a career because you've, you know, like I said, uh, whenever someone says, what if it doesn't work? You're like, I won't know if I don't try. And so on the topic of failure, you know, in Arab, in general, in our part of the world, it's very different than Silicon Valley or in the West where fa failure is viewed as a learning opportunity. You know, I, I remember for uh, uh, early parts of Bezat, whenever I thought, oh my God, this might not work on some level there would be some like shame or i'd worry about how my friends or society would like on you know thought it tried and didn't work you know and and i think to a certain extent as as arabs in this part of the world that's still ingrained in us so i guess for entrepreneurs listening or people who want to take a jump uh, in life 
who have that voice in their head about failure and what have you done to يعني, silence the voice for the lack of a better word? So I'll tell you the real story Please. behind this. I was once having uh, dinner with my best friend yeah. in her house yeah. and her husband walked in, he was yeah. coming from the gym yeah. and uh, he was wearing a t-shirt. Yeah. Obviously, uh, before having dinner, I've had all my thoughts and doubts about fear and yeah. commu- and what others would say and yeah. how would this be seen. And so it's always been in my mind. But that day he walked in and on his t-shirt was written, fear is an illusion. And I was looking at his t-shirt and just thinking and analyzing that statement, yeah. fear is an illusion. And we had a conversation about that. And honestly, that conversation has changed my perspective on fear because mm. fear, honestly, it's an illusion. Mm. It is what you make of it in your mind. Mm. But once you confront that fear and identify the worst case scenario that would happen, it won't scare you anymore. Mm. And You know, I, I follow this in everything. Yeah. Whenever, you know, I'm, I'm not clear, I'm not going to say I'm scared. Mm. I, if I have a fear of something, I go through the thinking process of what's the worst that could happen out of this. And if, once you go through the process, you actually take the power away of this uh, fear mm. and you're able to do it. Amazing. So, so that's, that's the real story. <laughs> and if you think of it this way, you really take the power out of that fear yeah. that would stop you from achieving your goals. Yeah, yeah. I think most of the time people over overweight or overestimate the impact of the downside risk. So like you said, Danny, what's the worst case scenario? When you get to that point, you're like, well, if that's the worst that can happen, but on the other side, this is the best thing that could happen and you weigh them equally, then you realize that clearly that the upside far outweighs the downside. And I think as humans, we're programmed uh, in general to avoid discomfort and avoid risk versus being programmed to see the opportunity of how big this could be. And so I love what you said, that fear is an illusion, pulls you out of that framework of oh what if this happens what if that happens and uh, yeah it's a subhanallah it was a perfect moment it sounds like to see that t-shirt i still remember <laughs> enlightening enlightening moment yeah and so yeah i can imagine one of the challenges setting up something like the fintech hive would be uh, challenging the status quo right because any at that point to a large extent and the DIFC was established. It was the leading financial center in the region, uh, one of the top leading financial centers in the world. So there wasn't necessarily a, a need to change in that moment. Uh, and so I'd love to learn a little bit more about some of the things you had to overcome in challenging the status quo, how you went about doing it. So as you said, uh, DIFC was leading the whole region in, in terms of being the financial center, who's who of financial services mm. companies are in the DIFC. Mm. We didn't have enough real estate to accommodate the number of companies that wanted to come and register. And it was a super t- regulated environment. Um, and for the DIFC to consider also the technology, the innovation, and the entrepreneurship. It's a completely different segment of, um, uh, I would say, uh, community yeah, yeah. to be part of the DIFC. 
But uh, we experimented. As I said, the FinTech Hive, when uh, was launched at the beginning, it was launched as an initiative. It was an initiative. Let's test the market. Let's see how many startups come in. And how does the financial institutions uh, engage with those uh, startups? Mm. So for the first program, to our surprise, we received 100 applications. Mm. And, and we didn't think we would reach. Yeah. You know, We were asking our partners, well, how many do you think we should get? And they said, if you get 30 to 40, it's great. Because again, that was 2017. The whole ecosystem was not uh, there. And it was um, very early to, yeah. to really judge. So when we received 100, we were like really impressed. And we saw the 100 mainly coming uh, from abroad because they saw the uh, whole Middle East, North Africa uh, region as an opportunity that mm. lacks the whole fintech solutions mm. to, to tap in. And um, we started working with those entrepreneurs. We brought them in. We started building a pipeline. Everyone is asking, when is the next accelerator yeah. program? And, and honestly, the licensing uh, structure, the regulatory structure, mm. the number of VCs, the number of ecosystem players started to grow gradually over the years because of the success stories that we were able to communicate. Mm. The first cohort had 11 startups and mm. those 11 attracted so many more and the second accelerator i think received uh, 300 applications the third one we received 600 so we started doubling the numbers mm. in terms of applications and then we had to uh, also double the number of programs so we started with one program a year it was in person it was in dubai and the founders had to be there personally. Mm. And then after three years, COVID hit. We figured the only way to continue to do this is to do a virtual program. Uh, at the beginning, we focused on mentorship, where we matched the financial institutions with some of the startups to understand each other's challenges and the opportunities to overcome them, mm. and also to educate the financial services sector about the opportunity that FinTech brings into the table. But really, three years through the program, we realized everyone is accelerated. They know mm. uh, fintech. They are comfortable. Their environments are open. Their innovation labs are open to integrate with fintechs and experiment yeah. with the solutions. We took the mentorship out, and we shifted into um, uh, uh, innovation sprints instead of accelerators. Okay. So, the, so we managed to do two programs a year to increase the number of startups that could join the program. And there was a lot of activities that were happening on the side. One of them was Accelerator, which is um, a program, a female talent accelerator program. Mm. At that time, we realized there were not enough women in FinTech. Mm. All the startups that are applying are mainly uh, male founders. And then we realized there's a gap. How do we address that gap? We launched that talent accelerator yeah. side by side with the innovation sprints and the uh, accelerator program got those women from financial services or from technology companies to join the program understand the licensing understand the regulation understand the technology match them with mentors from the uh, industry and help them be part of that whole sector and mm. by the time i left i think we've accelerated more than 100 women in the uh, program which That's was great. amazing mashallah one of the things that I can imagine, uh, I can imagine a lot of focus was on was around how do you brand, how do you market the fintech hive, and so uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more what you've learned about how to brand a new idea, how to market a new idea to uh, drive the right acceptance uh, from the audience. 
So when we launched the FinTech Hive, we realized we're talking to completely different mm. uh, segment. We're talking to startups and uh, the DIFC had uh, a corporate brand that did fit the financial institutions yeah. and uh, spoke their language. So with the FinTech Hive, we realized we need a com- not a completely different, but a little bit adjusted uh, tone of voice. Uh, brand image and um, uh, you know uh, brand collaterals to attract them. Mm. So the unicorn was driving that whole thing because every startup wants to exit as yeah. a unicorn. So uh, we we've embedded that unicorn. We started playing with colors, yeah. and you know we 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 brought a different image that really connected and resonated with the startups. Mm. And we always uh, tapped into the DIFC's brand equity to connect the financial institutions, the regulators, the more uh, kind of structured, regulated, uh, formal uh, players of the ecosystem. Mm. And then even in terms of your, 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 let's call it your personal brand, uh, you know, I've noticed, any. I've been following you, your content for a long time before I had the, the pleasure of sitting with you today. I'd love to you know, transition that uh, discussion around brand and so forth to personal brand and content creation. What drives you to create content on a personal level? How do you think about uh, personal brand uh, and, and the impact that has on on whether it's a person's career or even entrepreneurs? So eventually I realized that it's important uh, as I moved on from tech to uh, marketing and communications, I realized that, and and especially with everything digital, Mm. the first place people will go to get to know you is really Google. So they Mm. will Google you and they will Mm. say, okay, she's, you know, spoken here or spoken there and these are her views and they will sort of connect with you Mm. so your digital presence is as important as your in-person presence Mm. because if if not more because it's available to a wider uh, Mm. range of uh, audience and uh, given that I have my tech background always been passionate about digital so I and and honestly if I tell you Maybe 10 years ago, I was not very comfortable uh, with public speaking, yeah. with networking, with meetings. Mm. So I thought doing uh, content online is easier and mm. safer for me because yeah. I can post my thoughts and then connect with the audience online. And, you know, it's yeah. and that gave me the confidence because I started to see the engagement from the community mm. and I started to see that they were liking, commenting, engaging with the content and wanting to know more, especially during the time of the FinTech Hive because the Mm. entrepreneurs are, as I mentioned, are global and they want to know what type of activities are happening. And in the FinTech Hive, we really had a lot of community events. So we had speakers, we had, um, you know, uh, round tables, we had uh, pitches, demos, you name it. And everyone was curious about what's going on. So we were constantly posting about the activities. And realizing that whole engagement um, uh, made me also realize the importance of being consistent and being authentic and as close as to reality to the audience online because eventually you get to meet them. Mm. And, um, uh, and, and it all started from there. But really the engagement is driving me to continue uh, creating the content. And also with creating content, two things happen, awareness and inspiration. So awareness, you are able to share what's going on Mm. and how it's affecting um, certain uh, community with the world to 
get them to be part of that community. And then when I talk about inspiration, it's about uh, sharing your personal experiences with others so that most of the time they relate to it, but they've never had the chance to hear someone uh, talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it will inspire them to take that next step or to confront their own limitations to grow out of Mm -hmm. uh, whatever situation they are. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's a it's an area that I'm personally uh, trying to develop. I think I like the consistency, which I think, to your point, is a critical part of developing your digital digital presence. So you've seen a lot of startups in your in your time. What have you seen differentiates those that make it or or get to let's call it the first milestone or second milestone versus those that don't so you can always tell from the beginning if this founder believes in his idea and if he believes in it he will be very passionate very committed Mm. and he will defend it he will listen to other points of views he will pivot within the same uh, type of work that he's doing because he believes in it sometimes you see some founders who have been approached with through someone else uh, got an idea from someone was asked to be part of it so they don't have the same belief and passion that Mm -hmm. you see uh from those and the ones with the with the you know who believes the most are the most successful ones because they will make it work Mm -hmm. whether it's you know working with a regulator whether it's raising funding whether it's you know talking to whoever it takes yeah. to to move the agenda because it was really new and it was really the beginning and and for startups to go from zero to one they had a lot of challenges but the consistency mm. of uh, you know continuing to uh, uh, asking questions mm. uh, uh, reaching out for advice reaching out for mentorship reaching out for connections the ones that invest the time and energy to get there are the ones who've eventually made it. And I I always have uh, certain questions that I ask in the beginning to just gauge that passion. And one more important thing is if they cannot tell you how the technology is solving the problem or how their solution is solving the problem in like three minutes, they're not going to make it. <laughs> And, um, you know, I have this conversation over and over again, not only uh, for me to understand, but also for them to be able to communicate it in Mm. the right way. So I I challenge them all the time, not because I don't like them, but it's really when you push them, you see how they can grow out of that comfort area. Mm. And I rather that I challenge them than them being challenged on the, you know, next step or so forth. So what what are some of the questions you ask? Why are you doing this? What does it? What is it? What is the one single problem that you're solving mm. for the world through mm. this application? It could be solving one person's problem, or mm. it could be solving a thousand people's problem. Mm. And what do you want out of this? Do you want to create a company that you manage and a team? Do you want to create impact in the world? How are you creating that impact? Mm. And and trying to make them ask those tough questions to themselves. Mm. And then sometimes throughout. Uh, their journey they go through issues whether they want to you know it's not working anymore either pivot the technology or close down the system figure out what they want to do next and I also ask those questions do you think your credibility is on the line because you've raised money you've hired people and Mm. now you're saying this is not going to work and they said 
Yes, actually, because at least I return some of the investment back to the investors rather sure. than continuing to burn the funds mm. knowing that the, this technology doesn't work. Yeah. So it's always those challenging and difficult questions that help them as well understand how committed they are to their uh, to the solutions because mm. especially with startups they start on their own they mm. bootstrap but then they go to the community and start uh, fundraising yeah and once you start raising then you're not only raising funds you're raising expectations you're raising uh, credibility mm. you're raising uh, responsibility because these people trust you yeah and that trust element is the most important thing because you don't want to lose it you can mm. lose the technology but you don't want to lose that trust because it's a reflection of the relationship mm. so um, yeah and to a certain extent you, you raise, raise a really good point which is you know when you raise money you're not just raising money you're raising all these other things and you know one thing that I've seen uh, entrepreneurs more open to talk about in the past year than before is the impact that has on stress levels, mental health. And so I guess I'd love to get your perspective on what you've seen. Uh, entrepreneurs you either admire or the best entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call it, who've done really well at managing stress, managing anxiety, managing um, uh, that the pressure that comes from that increased uh, credibility and expectations. What have you either done on a personal level or even seen other people do that's really helped them manage that? So I think uh, it's really important to be transparent with the team. Entrepreneurs mm. start as two co-founders mm. and mm. then they grew into 20, 50, 100 uh, people company. Mm. And and whoever they recruit believe in their vision. Mm. And that's why they take the chance to be part of that journey. And if that journey is going through uh, you know issues or turbulence, inform the team let them be aware of the whole journey because you pitch that journey to them from the beginning mm. and and if you involve them and you're uh, transparent in your communications with them you'll be able to get their support depend on them get their feedback on how to get out of those issues um, i have heard of startups hiring so many people then laying off so many people yeah. it, it's not Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go through growth stage, go steadily. Don't go and hire so many people because as a startup, you don't have that corporate culture that's embedded in the DNA of the company. You mm-hmm. are building that as you go. Mm-hmm. And, w- and and you grow as you recruit. So if mm-hmm. you recruit um, for exponential growth, you mm-hmm. should be ready for it by mm-hmm. building the right uh, HR system, the right people's culture mm-hmm. and the right mindset. And keeping that communications uh, continuously and transparently within the the startup, you'll be able to identify those issues before they happen and avoid all of those um, uh, consequences. But things happen, you mm. know. Uh, pandemic happened uh, no. during uh, this whole journey, and um, you know valuations dropped and uh, plans changed for everyone. Yeah. And. When you go through these, I think it's important to talk about it. Mm. And you talk about it with your peers, with your uh, uh, leadership, or even with your friends. Mm. Seek guidance, uh, soundboard, don't assume. Because mm. as, as a person, um, whether you're the leader or an employee, once you start assuming uh, 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 certain scenarios, yeah. they might be right, they might be wrong. 
but it's your assumption. Yeah. It has nothing to do with reality. Go cross check, mm. find out. Because mm. if you allow this assumption to develop and grow, uh, then it will, you know, open your imagination to whatever yeah. consequences that might be, and that will affect your mental health and stability much more than reality. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, if I think about Bezat last year, it was probably one of the toughest years for us on a on a personal level as founders and then even as a business because for multiple reasons the fundraising kept getting delayed 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 uh and you know we 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 played around a lot with the idea do we tell the team at that point we were like 200 something like 250 260 team members do we talk to the team do we not talk to the team how much do we share how much do we not share and my learning experience from that was when we told when we were very open about here here's what's happening and like to 260 people in different countries and uh we didn't lose anyone like people rallied behind us because like you said they they joined because they believed in the vision and they said this is a hiccup it's a road bump we'll get through it and like i had never you know i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because i had never seen the team come together uh to face the adversity like I did that year and so I I completely agree with you and sometimes in our head we make it bigger because we say if we tell people they're going to freak out mm-hmm. but relax yani the complete opposite happened they and so, appreciate your honesty and yeah. also involving them in that conversation yeah. and then that's where the support comes in from mm-hmm. yeah I I I think we have to wrap up here because I promised uh, your your assistant we'd finish on time. So I, I heard you say a couple of things on the on the conversation today. I heard you say, you know, uh, intuition when when you have a clear objective uh, is actually a, a guiding force. I I love this idea of fear is an illusion. Uh, this idea of digital presence is as important as your in-person presence. I really like the way you phrased that. You put it very succinctly and very concise that founders who truly believe they can make it are the ones who, who, who do. And then just being transparent with the team because you owe it to them since they joined because of your vision, uh, regardless of what's happening, is critical to be a good founder. So... Thank you very much for your time. I've had uh, a lot of fun talking to you, but also just getting to to know your, beyond your digital presence, getting to know you uh, in person. Thank you so much, Tara, for having me. It's my pleasure to uh, join you today. And I um, hope the audience enjoy the episode as much as we enjoy the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.